This year, we launched a new Goop travel series called The Goop List. I wanted a way to share annually what I found to be the best of the best, from my favorite places to stay in Italy to a truly special spa in Costa Rica. If you are inspired to travel more this year, perhaps because you perused our recommendations on the Goop list, hosting on Airbnb is excellent for people who frequently travel. The beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Alongside frequent travelers, Airbnb is also great for those who have extra space or an in-law suite that isn't always being used. If you've stayed at an Airbnb before, you know the unique experience it offers. Now you can share that same experience with others while earning some extra income. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. Don't hold anything too tightly. Just wish for it, want it, let it come from the intention of real truth for you, and then let it go. For me, our soul is like, it's unbound, it's limitless, but we will use words to limit ourselves. When people stop believing that somebody's got your back or Superman's coming, we turn to ourselves and that's where you become empowered. Courageous participation attracts positive things. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. And this is the Goop Podcast, where we bring together thought leaders, scientists, healers, creatives, and seekers. I'm so grateful to be able to interview these bright minds and share their incredible wisdom with you. And I especially love listening to the conversations that are led by my brilliant co-host and friend, Erica Chitty. Erica is the CEO and co-founder of Loom, and she's been a part of the Goop family since the beginning days. We believe that simply asking questions and listening has the power to change the way we see the world. I'll let Erica fill you in on her guest today. Today's guest is Alexandra L. Alex is an incredible writer, healer, and a dear friend of mine. But before we get to our conversation, I want to fill you in on next week's podcast episode. If you haven't heard, Goop's second TV show, Sex, Love, and Goop, is out this month on Netflix. This time, it's all about sex and relationships. So next week's episode is going to be a special one, dropping on Thursday, October 21st, the same day as the Netflix series. I hope you'll tune into the podcast and binge the show. Now, back to today's wonderful guest. Alex's most recent book is called After the Rain, Gentle Reminders for Healing, Courage, and Self-Love. In it, she offers 15 lessons from her own path through trauma and heartbreak into lightness and love. It's an excellent resource for anyone who's going through a hard time. I so love the writing prompts and meditations she included in the book. Today, Alex and I reflect on self-care and what it means to nurture and heal yourself. We talk about where inner growth comes from, how to make peace with a difficult childhood, and why it's important to give yourself permission to do the things you don't know how to do. I'm excited to share Alex's wisdom with you today. Let's get right to our chat. Alex, I'm so happy to have you here. (laughs) Oh my gosh, thank you so much. It's great to chat with you, friend. I know, I think, you know, I was thinking this morning, how many years have we been friends? Like a long time. (laughs) Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a long while. Um, Very long time. I feel grateful for you. I know. I'm so grateful for you too. I think I, we 
full disclosure, we're, we're, we were internet friends, but I feel that our internet friendship began kind of maybe like the first or second year that Instagram was in existence. Like we both were on there just like feeling into this digital world, you know? Yeah. I don't even know what year that was. It's been a while. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so much is, so much has blossomed and so much has fallen away. And I think that really leads me to my first question. I really see you as really one of the first people who dug in and really expanded on the idea of self-care. And, you know, I really want to hear how it's evolved for you over the years. And, you know, what are the things that you do on a daily, weekly, monthly basis to protect and cultivate that self-care? It's interesting because my life has definitely changed over the years. I went from having one daughter to now having three daughters. I went from being a partner to a married partner and just life has really shifted and changed. My career has grown and how I take care of myself has shifted completely. And I think the most clear way I can describe what self-care looks like for me today is getting back to basics, especially as a mother and a wife and a teacher and all the other things that I am, getting back to basics looks like, did I eat today? Did I hydrate? Did I brush my teeth? Like, did I get outside and move my body? And so I think I really learned how to start from scratch to be honest, over the past year, because the pandemic really shifted our lives and I wasn't doing my due diligence in caring for myself. I was showing up and caring for my family and caring for my students and teaching. And just like, I put myself at the bottom of my list and going against everything I believe in and everything that I preach. And so it just shows the humanness of, self-nurturing and how sometimes we do lose our footing and that's okay. And getting back into flow and into the groove will require us to just take these baby steps and really start from scratch and get back to the basics. I think it's really interesting that you're calling out your transformation and how that's impacted your ability to care for yourself. I really resonate with that, especially even as I think about our friendship and all of the cycles our friendship has seen me through, you know, I think when we first started to connect, I was newly married. I had not started Loom. I was still working as a solo practitioner, as a doula. I, you know, had not come out as a gay person. I went through a divorce. I went from living with a partner to being unpartnered and living on my own. And, you know, my my ability to take care of myself has also had to shift and get get more simple in a lot of ways and in other ways become more complex. So I, I, I think that what I'm really kind of hearing as you say that is this, the sense of permission, the sense of of evolution is is such a key part of developing and sustaining a care process and not saying I've journaled for 25 years, you know, maybe that was okay at a certain point, but it's okay for things to evolve and change. Oh yeah, 
Absolutely. And to nurture my creative heart, it's been interesting how that's morphed my self-care practice as well. Like, because I'm a writer by profession, sometimes I don't want to sit down and journal. I can't write for myself. And so something that I started doing is painting and really like enjoying making a mess and being abstract and like not worrying about deadlines or manuscripts or anything else that comes with my, you know, career, but really creating just for me. And that has been extremely special and important for my self-care practice is like, what are the things that are just for me that I don't have to share, that I don't want to share? So there's just been a lot of self-reflection and introspection through and through, you know, and it's been a, it's been a blessing for sure. Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners. This year, we launched a new Goop travel series called The Goop List. I wanted a way to share annually what I found to be the best of the best, from my favorite places to stay in Italy to a truly special spa in Costa Rica. If you are inspired to travel more this year, perhaps because you perused our recommendations on The Goop List, hosting on Airbnb is excellent for people who frequently travel. The beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Alongside frequent travelers, Airbnb is also great for those who have extra space or an in-law suite that isn't always being used. If you've stayed at an Airbnb before, you know the unique experience it offers. Now you can share that same experience with others while earning some extra income. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. I love hearing that you're painting. It's funny, we've never talked about this before, but that's something I do as well because a big function of my work, especially around designing curriculum and you know, as a fellow writer too, sometimes writing is exhausting. <laughs> like there's no, right. <laughs> there's no pleasure in it because it's just so your trade. And so painting has also been a big outlet for me too. And uh, so has, you know, moving my body, like, you know, I've done Pilates for, I don't know, 13, 14 years now. And just knowing that these other outlets are a place. So I loved I- I love to know that you are picking up the brush. Are are, Mm -hmm. are you using like, are you doing oils, watercolor? Like, how are you? What does that look like? So I started with watercolor and then I evolved to acrylic on canvas, which I really love. Yes, I love that. (laughs) I love that. And I love that I have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah, (laughs) I think that's, that's the beauty there too, of just like, I don't know what I'm doing. Also as Black women, I think we grow up, especially if we are able to make it to this moment, right? This conversation Mm -hmm. we're having, this space in our our, our careers and our external lives. There's been a lot of moves, a lot of deprivation, a lot of strategizing, a lot of clarifying, a lot of intensity to be here. And at least for me, I feel like I've spent so much of my life knowing exactly what to do. And if I didn't know exactly what to do, I would figure out like a pretty close facsimile to that. Mm-hmm. And I think the opportunity to just be like, I don't know how to do this is so 
gentle and so important and so powerful. Yeah, I mean, it's this it's this avenue of self-permission, I think, for me, especially as a Black woman, and giving myself the permission to, like, just show up without there being any expectations to know how to show up, but just to do it. So I did resonate with what you were sharing, because as we look at our lives and how we've grown and changed and shifted, I think it's important to also continue being a student of life by not knowing so that we can continue to learn. That makes me think a lot about what's in your latest book. It's such an incredible tome. I remember talking to you while you were working on it and just, you know, really bearing witness to your process from afar. And it's really this this spacious offering of these 15 core lessons about navigating life from girlhood, which has been a really present theme for me this year, to now. And in lesson three, it's all about soothing the suffering. And you write about nurturing your inner child. Mm -hmm. What grief triggers and what yeah, like what activation really came up for you when you were writing that chapter? And and how do, how have you, especially kind of in the aftermath of 2020, you know, how have you learned to self-soothe around grief? Hmm. Yeah, so it's it's interesting because After the Rain is the name of the book and it's going to be out, it's going to be out a year in a couple, actually in a couple weeks, a couple days, I think. Your book's a yeah. Libra baby too. <laughs> And, you know, each lesson is, it reads kind of like an encapsulated memoir. And so Soothing the Suffering is all about, you know, just trying to get back to myself and trying to find the best way to do that. And also not knowing what I'm doing and carrying and holding myself and nurturing my younger self and my current self and trying to figure out how to do life and how to love myself through the ebbs and the flows. This past year really taught me a lot about putting myself at the top of my list and staying there. Because if I'm not well, my unit is not well. If I'm not well, my work is not well. If I'm not well, I can't show up and be my fullest, most intentional self to my students, to my husband, to my children. And so I had gotten to this point. So I ended up having a really bad anxiety attack and having to find ways to come back to my body, to tap into the emotional toolbox that I got in therapy at 19, you know, like what did my therapist teach me? How can I, you know, dive into cradling myself during this really crappy, emotionally draining time. So of course, like I pulled out all the tools. I pulled out the journaling. I pulled out the meditation. I pulled out the breath work. And it was in those modalities that I was able to find what was working for me and what was not. And I ended up having to get on a low dose of Lexapro. I had to find a new therapist. I had to figure out how to navigate my whole entire self from the inside out and not carry shame around it. I mean, 
I'm a person with anxiety. I walk through the world when my anxiety gets really challenging that I slip into depression. And it's like, I have to be on my list. I have to soothe myself. I have to take care of myself so that the other moving parts in my life can be cared for in the way that I want to care for them. And I have to be a part of that care. And so it's just been interesting looking at what self-soothing feels like for me and actually went and got my <laughs> got my certificate in breath work because breathing put me back into my body, intentionally breathing. And so it's wild that sometimes our darkest moments can bring us the greatest light. So that's just what I've been learning for the past year about myself and about holding myself and nurturing myself for the greater good, you know, not just for the self, but for everyone else around too. Part of what you write about in your book is also about learning how to name your needs. How do you do that? How do you find your inner voice that lets you know what you need? And how do you fight that conditioning of denying your own needs, especially definitely as a woman, especially definitely as a woman living in a black body. I feel like I have struggled with that. I've gotten stronger at it, but I really want to know how you've navigated that. Oh my gosh. Naming my needs is how I get my needs met. <laughs> and I, and I say that frankly because so often women are told not to name what we need and to just carry the weight of the world on our shoulders without help. And so I know I saw I know that this is universal not just to black women but to all women. So from my lens of being a black woman and seeing the other women in my life struggle because they would because they wouldn't name what they needed, because they didn't know how, because they couldn't find their voice to do so. I saw them deteriorate. I saw them crumble. And that is not something I want to do, right? And so sometimes I have to learn the hard way. Like last year when I was at my wits end, it's because I was not naming my needs. It's because I was not speaking up for myself. I wasn't advocating for myself. And I have people in my life who would help me do anything. And I still had this resilient, strong Black woman, you know, thing I was doing. And I don't even know where that came from. I'm sure it's, you know, <laughs> embedded in my DNA. But really choosing to dismantle what I saw growing up as a woman, as a Black woman, is hard. I mean, it's still hard to this day to be like, okay, I need help. Or normally I have inner dialogue and I'm like, yeah, I do need help with that, but I could just, I could just do it because I'll get it done. I'll get it done the right way, blah, 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 like all these things, right? But life is not to be done alone and we can ask for help, be it taking out the trash, house chores, or with work. A big thing that I'm very proud of myself for is that I finally, I've been with my husband nine years. We've been married for five years. I finally let him on the Alex L team and he's now my manager. This was like- I, Honey, I, I gotta tell you, I heard that. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, amen, amen. 
Especially because you two are so connected. And I feel like some of them, I feel like there's this under-discussed power of when couples actually work together. I think we have this cultural fear of working and playing and loving together is too much. But I think there's a, I think there's a lot of power in it. And, you know, I'm just, I'm just reaching over (laughs) just to say, I love it so much. Oh my gosh. And I love it. I'm like, I went almost 10 years without this unwavering, like, mandatory support. And the reason why I say mandatory support is because like he, he always w- would support me, but he wasn't handling my emails. He wasn't talking with my agent. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't in the mix. And I would of course brainstorm with him and talk with him, but you know, he wasn't managing me. I was managing me. And so after last year and how busy, I was so busy. I was teaching every quarter. I was leading meditations. It was just a lot. And I also think a big part of my anxiety attack was because I was burnt out. And we had to sit down and have a really long conversation about what he needed from me, which was not to be on email 24 seven. And what I needed from him, which was, please give me boundaries. You know, by taking over, by taking yeah. over all the clerical things that I don't need to be doing. He and I are very light hearted and stuff, which is, that's like my guy. But like all jokes aside, this has been the greatest gift of naming my needs that I've ever experienced. Mm. And I don't have to worry about anything. Like, I have my sabbatical email on right now for my personal or like my personal business email. And if it's urgent, you know, they go to Ryan and he doesn't bring it to me unless it is absolutely urgent. And I just am like, these boundaries that came out of naming my needs changed the game. Mm. Totally. (laughs) I love that so much. And I think there's just, there's a sense of protection there too. Mm -hmm. Uh, Having, having him step in knowing, you know, you have your three girls, you have your home life and you have your relationship together. And I know you two really take your relational space very seriously. And I think it's kind of a beautiful thing. And I think also what's really beautiful is the evolution, right? that you two were not set up that way. You know, it's not like he's been managing you since you were together. And I think right. it's such a signal of growth and, and, and strategy. And I think, I think oftentimes we don't think about the word strategy when we think about relationships, especially romantic relationships. I would say specifically romantic relationships. But again, as someone who knows you and just witnessing, it, it's a really beautiful just example of there can be play, there can be strategy, there can be intensity, there can be sensuality, all of these things can kind of come together. And also you can hold the mental health challenges as well you, and, and and actually find a way to, to, to meet each other by changing the operating system of the relationship, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? Yep. All of that. I want to circle up and talk about your mom and 
particularly lesson 12, that's all about comparison. And I feel like you and I have talked a lot about comparison over the years and how it can be the thief of joy. And also how I think both of us feel so much alignment in how specific our work is and how we've always found it comforting and this ability to just kind of put our blinders on and kind of tunnel and and do kind of what we feel like we've been brought here to do. But I really found it interesting in this lesson of the book, how you really had to meet that, that feeling of comparison in this very externalized way with your mom and this trip. Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh my gosh. Yeah. So that chapter is all about me comparing my relationship with my mom against a friend and her mom's relationship. And it's interesting because in that chapter, not only did I have this really deep ocean feeling of sadness that I didn't have this beautiful relationship with my mother, like my friend and her mom had, but I also, towards the end of the chapter had to show myself and my mom grace and understanding. And I think comparing our apples to someone else's oranges is just not helpful. I mean, you and I have talked about this so much, but it can be really challenging when navigating maternal or familial relationships. You know, my like my friend and her mom, they were, you know, laughing together and her mom was so supportive and, you know, so loving and affectionate and attentive and just like everything that I wanted my mother to be but I was not looking at what my mother was and how far we had come and how our relationship was getting better and was shifting and how she was changing and you know how we were growing to have this healthy relationship with each other. And it didn't necessarily have to look like lunch on a farm with you know grass-fed, <laughs> beef on the table and chickens running around and fresh eggs and fresh bread and all these things, you know, like it was just surreal what I had seen. And then I also, I'm just recalling that exact day because this is an absolute true story. Like how everyone's beauty isn't always the beauty that we see, you know? And so this beautiful relationship that my friend and her mom had, I talk about this in the chapter. Yeah, it was beautiful, but they had really worked hard to get their relationship to where it was. And there were still some things about, about my friend's mom that my friend just despised. And so from the outside looking in, I'm thinking they have this perfect relationship. I'm so jealous. I've never experienced this. And you know, this is just wild to see. And then I pull my friend to the side and we have this, you know, honest conversation. And she's like, this is not all it seems to be. And it's a work in progress. And that community sisterhood moment was everything I needed to get out of my own head and stop cycling around this story that of lack 
and start really looking at the relationship with my mom, even though it was challenging. There were moments, of course, in my childhood that were extremely traumatic and abusive and wrong and hurtful that I'm still healing from today as a 32-year-old woman, right? But there were also these moments of my mom showing up in the best way she knew how, especially as she started to do her healing work, which deserves praise and and in its own in its own way. And that was the last day that I ever compared my relationship with my mother to someone else's because that was something I did all the time. Like I would see a mother-daughter duo and just be like, wow, like what is that like? You know, and really get down on myself, you know, for for being born to parents who were broken and didn't know how to love me. But being stuck in the past was not helpful, especially when I had decided as an adult that I would, I wanted a relationship with my mother, which took years to come to. I think it took me like five years to be able to say, like, I actually want a relationship with my mother, which is a whole nother conversation. And so seeing my mother as a woman and not just as my mother, has really allowed me to hold deeper space for compassion and grace and understanding versus holding her hostage to her mistakes as a mother because she's more than just a mother. She's also a woman. So when we look at our parents as people and not just folks who brought us into this world, we're able to see we're able to see them through a different lens, especially if we have started doing our work, you know, our soul work, our healing work. I really deeply resonate with that, especially this idea of remembering that our mothers are women and not just human, because I know you and I have talked about this and it's definitely something that I've read, heard from my therapist and, you know, and, and all different types of, of people that have this kind of psychological lens of just, you know, your parents are human beings. But I think when you just see mothers as humans, you, you bypass the patriarchy, right? You bypass the fact that being a woman inside of this culture forces you to do do certain things behave in certain ways that mm-hmm. that don't cultivate what you were looking for from your mom what i was looking from from my mom and then if you add the layer of blackness onto that which is something i've really been looking at with my mother with my parents with their complexities mm-hmm. you know how hard it is or how hard it was for them to come here as immigrants to be black, to have English as their second language, then to try and 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 live and exist and how hard that was. And just a systemic, chronic otherness, anxiety, fear. And then you need to parent. Then right. you need to parent. Mm-hmm. And you you have to add all those pieces up. And I feel like where we are now, you know, you're 32, I'm I'm 35. I feel like we're at we're this generation that gets the opportunity to reflect, 
right? We get mm-hmm. the time to think about and, and, and see those layers and see how they come together and be able to say, oh, maybe that's why. And like you were saying, it doesn't excuse, it doesn't change, it doesn't make it any better, but it's a framework to begin engaging if you choose to engage. And as you're saying, you it took you a while to figure out that you wanted to have a relationship with your mom, similar to me also had to really make that decision myself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it, it brings me to ask you, you know, what is your advice for someone who has been estranged from a biological family member, mother, father, brother, sister, cousin, whatever it may look like? How do you begin to explore, not even do explore what that reconnection can look like? Like, what is your advice for that from your own experience? So something that I did was I, I, I took to my journal and I made a list of pros and cons. And I also talked a lot about this with my husband. And what I would advise people to do is to first figure out what you want, but you can't do that just in your head. You have to put it on the page or maybe in a voice memo and like talk yourself through this thing. It's a big decision to just cut somebody off. It's a big decision to decide to move through a relationship that has been challenging, right? Um, Especially when it comes to our family. And so my main piece of advice is to talk yourself through it. And then after you talk yourself through it, which will take multiple tries, (laughs) reread what you've written, listen to your audio notes, like play them back and listen to yourself, hold yourself, listen to yourself, which is, it's just major. I can't repeat that enough. Like I need to be on a shirt, listen to yourself. Because so often we are like moving through the world, listening to everyone else except for the self. So there has to be balance there. And then you sit down with someone you love, like your partner or your best friend or your sister or your mentor or whoever, who is a safe space and talk through the decision, the pros, the cons with them, not even necessarily talk through, but have them listen to you. That's something that my husband does really well with is just listening to me and then acting as like a mirror and reflecting back to me what I need to see. And it's not always rosy. It's not always the, the reflection I want to, you know, face. And so unpacking, repacking, unpacking, rearranging. And once you make your decision, then you'll be able to take the steps to nurturing whatever that is, you know? And sometimes that looks like, okay, I want to make this decision. I'm going to make this decision. And then you make it. And then you're like, oh, I changed my mind. And like leaving room for your mind to be changed. And also leaving room for like the ebb and flow of complicated relationships. Because even if you want to move forward, there are going to be challenges in that moving forward. And because the relationship is already super tender, We have to be extremely intentional about how we're interacting for our own mental health and, you know, the care of of someone else. So what I would say is write it down, record it, listen to yourself, and then 
talk through it with someone who is a safe space for you. I think in those ways, that's how we're able to really move through it in a way that's intentional and honest. And that makes me think about healing because it's not a word that's come up in any part of this conversation, although we've been talking about self-care and relational repair and, you know, relational evolution. What does healing look like, feel like for you? Especially as all of these shifts have been taking place, because I think at least this is my understanding, everything that you are doing and moving through is to care for oneself. But what about healing? Is that something that you are focused on? And also, do you consider yourself to be someone that heals or is capable of that? To be honest, I feel like self-care in my life has amplified my healing. And I'm even moving further and further away from the word self-care and moving closer to the word self-nurture because it is in those moments of nurture and nourishment and care for myself that I'm able to heal in a, on a cellular level, on a vibrational level, mind, body, soul, spirit. And so healing healing is like my middle name. Like that is what I do. That's what I've been doing. That's what I've been trying to do. That's what I teach. And because of that, it's like, how do we amplify our healing by way of self-care practice, self-nurturing practice? And then also, how do we take a break from healing and giving ourselves that emotional rest to recalibrate without having to figure out how to heal the trauma wounds and how to heal X, Y, and Z. And so there's this fine balance that healing plays with self-care and they need each other. I do think like they're cousins, you know, because as we heal, we open up new things, new pathways, new pain points, we resurface really tender things. And then we need to care for ourselves through those things and we need to rest through those things as we process. And so healing and self-care go hand in hand. I do think I am a healer of myself. I do think I am a healer of others just by way of sharing stories and being a facilitator of, of writing to heal. That's what I do. And that's what I teach. I teach people how to get closer to themselves by way of writing practice through a restorative healing lens. So everything is cyclical. It all goes together. I do see you as a healer. I think oftentimes when I encounter a sentence of from your book, books, plural, or just, you know, catch you in my feed, you know, as I'm scrolling through the gram, there's just a reminder, right? And, and, and I think healing, it can be so simple. It can be words. Right. It doesn't have to be this entire complex framework, all these steps. Sometimes there's not as much intensity that's required. And I think we are in such an intense time. There is this drive to meet it with intensity. And and somehow I definitely feel that your work and your words are a reminder to 
meet intensity with gentleness. Mm-hmm. How would you encourage someone to begin their healing process? Baby steps, step by step. For me, that looks like looking at myself, who I am today, and seeing how far I've come. I don't think we give ourselves enough room or space to reflect on the fact that we are still here. And in that is a celebration. Healing looks, feels, tastes, demonstrates very differently for everyone. And for me and my personal practice, it has been extremely important for me to not forget the path, to not forget where I started. Because we can get super caught up in like where we think we should be. Or if we're triggered by something, we're like, damn, I thought I should have been over that by now. But the truth is healing is a consistent process. It is a constant process. And so is learning, learning who we are, what we like, what we don't like, what triggers us, what, how to soothe ourselves, how to take better care of our, of ourselves, what gives us these feelings of calm. And for me, it's all step-by-step. It's all baby steps. And sometimes I get really literal (laughs) and I write down in my journal, I will title the page steps to healing. And I will just make a list of all the ways I have healed over the past 10 years. And sometimes that list is long because I can recall better on some days than others. And sometimes that list is short and I have to really sit and think about how far I've come. And this writing exercise is not just to soothe us in the moment, but it's to really give us a moment of pause and reflection throughout the rest of our days. We can open our journals back up and see, wow, look how far I've come. I went through that and I'm still here. I've walked through anxiety and depression and I'm still here. I've made really terrible decisions in my life and I am still here because I am committed to changing and doing things differently. Healing isn't perfect. We are not perfect, we are flawed. And in our flaws is where we find self-awareness. It's where we find the lessons, it's where we learn. And I'm just a big believer of taking things a day at a time. You know, we live in such a fast paced world where people tell you, you should be you know, doing this and then you'll get this instant result or you'll be, you know, you should be healed because you've gone, you've been in therapy for 10 years. You should be healed already. Like all these different things. It's like, no, everything is a process, is a baby step. It is a one foot in front of the other journey. And I think, I think that's really important. And that's how we're able to find gratitude. And that's how we're able to give ourselves and others grace by knowing baby steps one step at a time, less judgment, more presence for what things actually are. I love you so much. And I'm just so grateful to have this pocket of time with you to just touch in and, and just be, be with what is. And I think that's really what after the rain invites us all to do. And 
if you if you don't already have a copy, it's really one that is so beautiful to lean into, especially at this time of the year. If you live in the northern hemisphere and we're moving into this autumnal time and into the winter time, it's a really beautiful time to reflect and 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 take stock. And I, I really think that the, the book is a is an awesome support system for that kind of work. Thanks for tuning in to my chat with Alexandra L. I encourage you to pick up a copy of her book after the rain. Like I mentioned, next week's podcast episode is going to be a special one, dropping on Thursday, October 21st, the same day as Sex, Love, and Goop on Netflix. Be sure to tune in. Thanks again for tuning in. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. I hope you'll listen, follow, rate, and review all of our episodes, which are available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to the Goop Podcast.